this podcast, including any related materials, such as show notes, links, and supportive materials, is provided by Metagenics Institute, the educational arm of Metagenics, Inc., for general informational and educational purposes only. This podcast does not constitute medical advice and should not be considered a substitute for discussions between individuals and their healthcare providers. The podcast presenters' views are entirely their own and do not represent the views of Metagenics Institute, Metagenics, or any of their research partners and collaborators, collectively referred to as affiliates. Metagenics Institute and its affiliates do not endorse or recommend any specific healthcare providers, products, or other items or services that may be discussed or mentioned in this podcast. Podcast participants may receive compensation from Metagenics Institute and or its affiliates. Metagenics products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When Dr. Jill Carnahan was a third-year medical student, she was diagnosed with an aggressive form of breast cancer that threatened to take her life. Even with access to the most current research in medical care, she found it nearly impossible to navigate her own cancer care. I didn't know if I had six weeks or six months or six years. So it was this massive stop and pause and reevaluate life and everything because you don't even know if you have another day. And I remember my oncologist calling me and her voice is cracking on the phone. She's like, Jill, I don't know how to tell you, but you have cancer and do you have to, you know, fight this with your life? This marked the beginning of a radical shift in the way that Dr. Carnahan views and practices medicine. Being the only survivor in her experimental treatment group of 12 women prompted Dr. Carnahan to search for a more soul-satisfying way of honoring the Hippocratic Oath that she took as a doctor. Learn why Dr. Carnahan walked away from a high-salary position as director of a well-known medical facility to start her own functional and integrative medicine practice, how she transitioned away from allopathic medicine and how we can all support this emerging shift in medical care. Join me, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, in an illuminating discussion with Dr. Jill Carnahan in this episode of The Practice. It's Dr. Sarah Gottfried. I am so thrilled to be with Dr. Jill Carnahan today. Hi, Jill. How Hi, are you? Hi, Sarah. Great to be here. So happy to have you. So I I love your work. I love um, reading your practitioner newsletter. You are one of the experts in functional medicine, and I, I love the way that you teach. I want to start with your story because I think that pivot that so many of us went through from allopathic medicine to practicing functional medicine or however you frame it, can you tell us about that pivot? Because I, I think it's so important, especially, you know, my heart goes out to the allopathic physicians who are maybe watching us or listening to us who are still stuck in that system. Yes. And they're burned out. Their HPA is crashing. They're struggling. I mean, that was certainly part of my story. Um, and I, I feel like we have such a message of hope. So let's start with your story. I love story because it really drives, and all of us have story, uh, so mine is no different. Um, I went to medical school at Loyola in Chicago, and it's interesting because I always had the heart of kind of a naturopath wanting to do things more holistically. And um, as I got accepted to allopathic medical schools, I thought, you know what, if I really want to change the system, I have to infiltrate yes. <laughs> and actually go from the inside out and get a great science-based education. I love, we know we both love science. 
And so I wanted to have the best um, foundation for a great career to actually change and move medicine. So early on, I had this kind of desire to do things differently. And I remember there were certain uh, things in medical school that I didn't completely agree with, um, but I got through and during medical school, things really shifted. So I was 25 years old, uh, 2001, and I suddenly found a lump in my breast. And of course, the end of the story is I got an invasive, aggressive breast cancer. And I almost didn't get it checked out because at 25, you think you're invincible, right? Right. right. At the insistence of family and friends, I did and biopsy and ended up getting a diagnosis of a very aggressive, as it is in young women, we know, a ductal carcinoma or breast cancer. You know, now I'm healthy, thriving, I've totally overcome the cancer. But at that point, I didn't know if I had six weeks or six months or six years. So it was this massive stop and pause and reevaluate life and everything because you don't even know if you have another day. And I remember my oncologist who had the biopsy calling me. And you know, in medical school, these are your friends, they're your people yes. that are teachers and they're, you know, colleagues, mentors. So she knew me well and she called me and her voice is cracking on the phone. She's like, Jill, I don't know how to tell you, but you have cancer and you, do you have to, you know, fight this with your life? Oh my gosh. I was bound and determined to find the best way to treat it. And I just remember so clearly, I was a third year medical student, so I had access to the best journals, the best doctors, the best opinions. And I remember having stacks and stacks of like just one decision on radiation therapy and being completely overwhelmed because the data isn't as black and white as we'd like to think, right? That's right. So it was so overwhelming. To, and I had access to the best information, the best knowledge, and even had the training of how to look at data. And I still, there was no black and white answers. So what I ended up doing is I went through um, three drug chemotherapy, uh, conventional radiation, and then um, multiple surgeries. And I was with a, a group of young women in Chicago at the time. We were all under 40. And this is such an important part of my story. There was 12 of us, and I'm the only one still living. Oh, my gosh. That's how devastating this disease is in young women. So, again, a lot of people see me and think, oh, well, cancer, whatever. My mom had it at 65, but it's a different ballgame when you're 25. It totally is. Your life was on the line. It was totally on the line. And I really believe part of my passion in doing what I do now was driven by this life and death experience going from doctor to patient in one second and all of a sudden being on the other side. And I remember as I saw radiation oncologists and chemotherapeutic doctors and all the different people involved deciding each one, you know, I want to be like that. I want to be like that. I don't want to be like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like the, the mm -hmm. personalities and stuff. Because mm -hmm. as you see those bedside manners and those people, the compassion really shaped who I am today. Mm. So I got through that. And what I did do is I chose to have all the conventional therapy, but I also chose to have prayer, meditation, naturopathic therapies, uh, nutritional supplements, um, just all the other things I could possibly have. And I always say today, um, the chemotherapy has such a toxic effect on rapidly dividing cells, especially the gut. And six months after my diagnosis of cancer, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Mm. Another life-threatening illness. Of course, related. But of course. Now we know with functional integrative medicine, we know there's a complete connection with toxic agent-inducing leaky gut, and then that leaky gut-inducing an autoimmune disease. Yes. And of course, I had high-risk gene for both celiac and Crohn's. So it was the perfect setup. <laughs> um, all that to say, then the last 17 years of my life, I've been absolutely passionate about healing the gut mm. and about toxic exposures and about why does cancer ever develop in a young person? Because over those years, I've not been healing from cancer. I've been healing from the side effects of therapy for cancer. Wow. I'm so moved by your story. It's a little hard to like form words right now, but 
um, part of what I hear is that you had a sense of integration before your diagnosis mm -hmm. at age 25. That diagnosis, I, I really hear like how it came together for you. I don't know if you had an epiphany or if it was just sort of the experience of seeing how the data was not black and white, seeing how there were all these different behaviors among the clinicians that were taking care of you, having that sense of, I want to be like that, I don't want to be like that. Like, I, I can so relate to all of those things. But I can really see how you accelerated the integration and you started to have that more functional look at first your own experience and then, of course, with your patients. So integration is really important to you, and I, I also hear how important the science is. I want to ask about prayer, because I, I really believe in the power of prayer, and it's something that I heard a lot about when I went through my medical training at Harvard Medical School. Like I, I remember um, it was right around the time that some data got published about the power of prayer, especially... I forget what it's called, intercessionary yes. prayer, mm -hmm. right? When someone Long prays on your behalf like, and yes, how effective is, it is. Exactly. So tell us a little bit about prayer, like the meaning for it personally. And mm -hmm. also, is that something that you integrate in your practice? You know, is faith part of this process? Mm. I love that we're talking about this because who I am at the core is a very spiritual being. We all are, but it's just how do we tap into that? And I'm super open to any person's walk. But for me personally, um, that faith journey was part of all this formation. And I remember with the cancer diagnosis shortly after, God kind of downloaded this verse to me, and it was, this sickness is not end in death, but for the glory of God. And for some reason, it just shot to the heart, and I like owned it and knew that was my promise, that it, I knew from day one I wasn't going to die. And I knew that somehow I would have purpose and meaning in the suffering. Like God just really showed me at that time that, Jill, there's going to be purpose. You don't see it right now. And so that's the thing about all of this in faith and prayer is we don't always see it immediately. So it takes this belief of something greater than us. And at that moment, I was so sure. I knew. It was like, I almost like God spoke to me. Yes. Um, and I felt it and I owned it. And then I knew, okay, I'm going to survive. And somehow this horrible thing where I lose all my hair and I get so sick and I have scars on my breasts and, uh, I mean, all the things I went through, I would never wish on my worst enemy. Mm. Uh, but I knew, I was like, somehow, someday this will have purpose and meaning. Now, there's so much meaning and purpose because it drives everything I do. And it's always easy now looking back to see, oh gosh, of course that ended happy. But during the, during the struggles, they don't always feel like they're going to end happy. No, <laughs> certainly not. When your hair is falling right. out and you're retching in the toilet. Yes, and yes all of that. <laughs> absolutely. Breast strains, which I think are the worst yeah. possible thing. Yes. You're in this place of unknowing. You're suffering so much pain and so much not knowing. But that sense of peace that comes, and I think that was from the prayers and even the healing, there was like this greater purpose happening. I'm just, I'm so moved and I... I'm tearing up because I hear the truth in what you're saying. And it's, um, I feel like with the challenges that we have, breast cancer diagnosis, mm -hmm. Crohn's disease, yeah. it's on us to interpret the message and to determine as best we can with our guidance, whatever that is, yeah. higher power, yes. whatever you yes. call that higher, that guidance. It's on us to figure out that message and to figure out like how do you how do you then pay it forward 
story drives everything, but this is a story that comes so from my heart because I've lived it. And so when I see a patient, I can sit in front of them and we were taught in medical school to remain objective. Right? Yes. Which Don't is all, all well and good. <laughs> but you know what I've learned? I've learned like, gosh, number one, intuition is so powerful and probably more powerful than any sort of scientific study I could bring to the table. And so I've learned to actually re-get in touch with my spirit and intuition and it is right on and I prove it with the science. But I go with that and I actually trust it because it's so more, and there's studies on that too, the yes, gut sense and the intuition. So you do that with patients. Um, you do it with your teaching of practitioners. Talk a little bit about how you divide your time. And also with the kind of life that you have where you're so focused on your healing, you have to be. You're a breast cancer survivor. Mm -hmm. You um, reversed your Crohn's disease. Mm -hmm. How do you make sure that there's primacy on your self-care mm -hmm. while you're also traveling around and speaking? How do, you, how do you take care of yourself in a deep way? while living this big life. Yeah, well, I just have to laugh because I, if you had seen me with my luggage for three weekends, three days or two days, <laughs> I do not pack light. And I finally learned this line, it's great. You know, it's okay to be high maintenance if you're high performance. Yeah, and I'm oh like, God, that that's is, that's me. Because I'm like, because literally I'm taking my hot pot, my air purifier, my food. I order groceries when I get to the hotel so that I have clean food. Like I've had to really set up an environment wherever I go that is safe and that actually I'm sleeping, I'm eating really clean. I'm And I'm actually now today way more resilient. So if I had a bad meal or I hadn't drank for 15 years, but if I'd have a sip of wine, God forbid, it wouldn't take me over the edge. So little things like I always talk to patients. It's almost like you're on a tightrope and just the slightest breeze will take you over the edge. And I lived many, many years in that state. And now I'm much more resilient, but it's been so long of practicing where literally I would take, uh, and I would make time for prayer meditation or make time for exercise in the morning. So whatever things that would keep me um, in that space, I just, it took a lot of extra time and effort and extra luggage, but I just was like, for me, I need these things around me to keep myself in a good spot. Like sleep is a big one. And when we're traveling, yes. doing these things, we're out late and we're not getting, so I would, if I could, I would make sure flights were no earlier than 10 o'clock in the airport, you know how that goes. Yes. So like my flight times are later. Um, my speaking times, if possible, they're not at 7 a.m. So I would just try to make these things in my lifestyle built around to protect me. And it's not always possible, um, but to the best of my ability, I'm really strict on the boundaries for my health. Um, and then what do we say yes to? And for mm -hmm. me, I've just been working through values and trying to really align with what are my values and how do I make sure every decision aligns with those? Because I just had an opportunity a month ago that was crazy insane for any of us in this world of financial gain or whatever else. And I went and interviewed and I just turned it down because it didn't align with me. Because I was like, no amount of money is worth a stress or whatever that wouldn't fit with my values. Yes. And I'm finally in a place of confidence in who I am and my values and knowing that that will always lead me in the right direction, even if it's not financial gain, that's fine. <laughs> so trying to make decisions. And it's always a battle. I mean, I continually learn. I don't have it right all the time. But it's a work in progress. It is. It's but I, I hear the congruence. Like, I, I think that congruence piece is so important. Mm -hmm. And, you know, another thing I love about your work is the practitioner newsletter that mm -hmm. you send out because I, I hear your spirit. It's part of the subtext. Mm -hmm. I also hear about the latest studies and your interpretation of them, mm -hmm. which I value so much. And I, I want to make sure, you know, again, for the clinicians that are listening to us, I want to give them some action items about 
what they can do, like yeah. with scheduling their flights and with carrying mm-hmm. their air purifier with yes. them in their luggage. <laughs> I also just don't pack well. Like I yeah. never learned to be an adult when it comes to packing. No so more choices. I, right? And shoes. <laughs> right. I have a lot of shoe choices. Very important. They raise oxytocin, right? Totally. Right. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about your practitioner work and mm-hmm. and especially the newsletter? Because yeah. I feel like that's a easy way for um clinicians to start integrating these principles and hearing about the latest science. Thank you, because I've worked really hard on that and making it really just, it's all free, so it's just giving away, and it's really stuff that I learn. What happened is I had this clinic, I love my patients, and I started speaking, and then I realized I'm actually a total introvert, and so it was funny the first time I got on stage, and of course, years ago, I was nervous, but then I realized... I have a message and a story and I have a purpose. So now I'm not nervous. I love it. And so I have a whole new shift in really educating doctors and giving them not just education and science, but giving them permission to step outside, to do something different, and also just to have heart and to not lose. We get so bogged down with the strain of the finances or the paperwork or all the difficult things that I think sometimes we lose why we went into medicine, which is the love of patients and the wanting to heal and wanting to encourage. And so most everyone I know is went into medicine has those things. So for me, as part of that encouragement and inspiration is it hopefully goes into everything I do. So tell me a bit about your future. You are one of my go-to resources for thought leadership on the gut, on mold exposure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've learned so much from you and on environmental toxins in general. What's happening next for you? Like when is the book coming out? Yeah. <laughs> That's part of the balance. That was another download. Like 2013, I was at a retreat and I just knew I was supposed to write. And for me, it was like, I was like, oh, who am I? What, you know, can I do this or not? And that was years ago. Um, and God was just like, you know what, if I call you to do this, I'll take care of the rest. So you just be obedient and act. And so I knew, okay, whenever the time comes. And what's funny is at that time I thought, okay, next year. That was 2013. But what happened is I've had so many stories. I would say, God, you're giving me another chapter here. Because <laughs> then I had a mold exposure and learned about mold and became the mold expert. And um, personally, I went through divorce. That was very, very difficult. Yes. So all these things are like lessons. And I feel like I'm finally ready and uh, at the point. So I'm hoping next year will be the book. Yay! Okay, super exciting. (laughs) I can't wait to support that book. Thank you. So as we wrap up, any final things you want to say about the path that you've been on, Um, especially for my beloved allopathic physician Mm -hmm. who's listening and is stuck like I felt stuck, you know, 15, 20 years ago, stuck within this model Mm -hmm. of Um, chronic disease management that Mm -hmm. doesn't work, that doesn't address the root cause, that isn't systems biology. So any last words speaking directly to that person? Oh, you give me such great excitement to talk. So for you listening out there, this is so huge because you're sitting there and you're overwhelmed with the paperwork. You're overwhelmed with having to see patients quicker, more uh, not really getting to do what you were called to do or meant to do or what you went to medical school to do. And what's keeping you back is fear. I guarantee it. I was there I'm sure Dr. Gottfried was there. And I just want to give you permission. It is not going to be easy necessarily, but I promise you it will be worthwhile because it gives you the heart and soul back of why you went into that. And it will take compromise. I remember when I started my practice in 2010, I left a salaried medical directorship at a well-known hospital that was, you know, paid me very well. Completely left that, started over. I used my savings the first year to practice and to see patients. Unfortunately, I didn't go into debt, but then it just slowly started to go. And if you have the passion and will, it will work out. I guarantee it. 
you can actually keep your conventional practice and start into something else. So you can weave them in so you have some sense of security. But honestly, it will be the best decision you ever made because you're following your heart and why you actually went in to do that. Um, and there's uh, those of us who've done it, so we're happy to be there as resources and answer questions. And um, I think that's important too. But if you are afraid, uh, just go forward. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I, that was just a... I think a genius way to encapsulate it because it is fear It is that keeps us stuck in that burnout mode, mm -hmm. the emotional exhaustion. And when you have the courage, even like a little teeny twinge of courage to step out of the box, like to, to like hear that whisper of there's another way, yeah. it makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. So it, it's not easy. Mm -hmm. But alignment, congruence, that sense of I am working um, totally in congruence with my values, mm -hmm. it just changes everything. It does. Something I heard a long time ago that's helped guide so much of what I do is um, love and fear can't coexist. And so when you, whether it's a relationship or professional or your children or any of these things, when you have fear, you cannot feel or come in contact with the love that you have for that subject or that passion or that person. So for me, it's been a constant process of, and I fearful by nature, but I've continued to push that aside and choose love. Love is my highest value. And that choice of love is how we serve the world and serve our patients. And so if you're like oscillating back and forth, you cannot have fear in love and you have to choose. And obviously the choice to love is is so profound and gives us joy and uh, confirmation. I love it. Okay, we'll finish with love. Thank you, Dr. Jill Carney. You're welcome. Such a joy. Thank you for being with us for this episode of The Practice. You'll find extensive show notes, including links and supportive materials over at thepracticepodcast.tv. While you're there, explore other topics and use the Ask and Answer button to ask your burning questions and give your insights about the topic. After all, the future of medicine lies in dialogue, not dogma. Let's transform medicine together by connecting on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You'll find all the links at thepracticepodcast.tv. This podcast, including any related materials such as show notes, links, and supportive materials, is provided by Metagenics Institute, the educational arm of Metagenics, Inc., for general informational and educational purposes only. This podcast does not constitute medical advice and should not be considered a substitute for discussions between individuals and their healthcare providers. This podcast does not create a doctor-patient relationship and should not be considered a substitute for the independent professional judgment of any physician or healthcare professional regarding the appropriate course of action for a particular patient or individual. Metagenics does not make any guarantees regarding the accuracy, completeness, or usefulness of this podcast for any particular purpose. Listeners may use this podcast at their own risk and patients should not disregard or delay seeking advice from their healthcare providers based on the content of this podcast. Participation through the Ask and Answer button is optional, and no participant should feel obligated to provide personal details, including about any diagnosis, symptoms, or other health-related information. Neither Metagenics Institute nor any of its affiliates seek this information, and it is not necessary to participate in the dialogue regarding this podcast.
The podcast presenters' views are entirely their own and do not represent the views of Metagenics Institute, Metagenics, or any of its research partners and collaborators, collectively referred to as affiliates. Metagenics Institute and its affiliates do not endorse or recommend any specific healthcare providers, products, or other items or services that may be discussed or mentioned in this podcast. Podcast participants may receive compensation from Metagenics Institute and or its affiliates. Listening to this podcast does not obligate you to purchase, use, recommend, or prescribe any Metagenics or Metagenics Institute products or services, including their educational materials. Metagenics products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Unless approved by Metagenics Institute, this podcast must be used only for personal, non-commercial purposes. This podcast has no independent economic value and is intended to comply with all applicable laws. It may be rescinded, revoked, or amended at any time without notice. Listeners who are patients should talk to their healthcare providers if they have any questions regarding the content discussed in this podcast. Listeners who are healthcare professionals may obtain more information by visiting metagenicsinstitute.com, calling 888 690-8500 or emailing med ed at metagenicsinstitute.com.